What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your show reviews, concert reviews, and so much more. And with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm enjoying the weather out here at good old STL. It's just a giant fucking rain cloud just followed me around all day. And you know what? That was fine, because it's been hot as balls every other day. It was about 94 out here today, and I worked in it, and I was not looking forward to that. Yeah, it's not fun. Probably getting in that hot car after being in, the gr- in a grocery store for an hour. <laughs> like, well, you know, the nice thing is, is my AC kicks on pretty quickly, and uh, you know, I wear flip flops, so I, I do that dual thing where it's on my face and my feet, so it cools me down pretty quickly. Oh, you have AC? Yeah, you know, when you go, uh, you know, sixteen thousand dollars in debt, I hope you uh, can afford AC on something. <laughs> well, that's true. You do get what you pay for, because uh, I mean, I bought my my work truck for like two grand from some dude that may or may not have been shady. So, you know, (laughs) you definitely get what you get. Right. Speaking of getting what you get, uh, this episode's guest is Will Putney. Uh, you know, if you listen to this podcast and you don't know who the fuck Will Putney is, I just, I mean, just stop, you know, just, I mean, pretty much pull up, pull up the Wikipedia, familiarize yourself. I mean, if you're not familiar with uh, his band, uh, Fit for an Autopsy, I, I mean, they've been around for a while, so I don't know how you haven't heard of them. Uh, if you haven't heard of The End, his other band, uh, the Supergroup of sorts, um, they arguably put out one of the most pissed off EPs of the last probably five years. It was very angry. It was very angry. And uh, if you haven't heard of all the records that Will Putney has produced, well, then I really don't think you like the genre at all. So why are you listening to us right now? It's for all the beer talk. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I'm drinking a, a Snapple peach tea. Um, I kind of had a lot of expensive cocktails this weekend, which I posted some of those on our Instagram page. My God, with the heats, there was one I tried. It was a watermelon-infused tequila with uh, some St. Germain, which has quickly become my, my new favorite ingredient in cocktails, uh, as one of my bartender friends uh, refers to it as uh, the bartender's ketchup because it goes good with everything. <laughs> um, but basically, it just makes everything taste super sweet. Uh, so on a hot day... When you're eating uh, tapas and uh, you want a nice sipping drink that's cool and delicious, that's what you do. You just throw something in with some tequila and St. Germain and a bunch of other sweet citrusy ingredients and uh, call it a day. But this peach tea makes me feel right uh, right at home in the south, which is where I'm not at all. I was going to say, I'm, I'm arguably further south than you are. Um, not arguably. I mean, I think geographically it's sound. Um, but even I'm not even the south, really. Now, it's funny, though, because if you drive about 30 miles south of my house, those guys think that they're in Texas. It's kind of funny. My wife and I, speaking of geography, we were talking about the various dialects and how different everything is per, like, I mean, obviously the East Coast has its own dialect for a specific reason. Like, you know, we were in the original 13 colonies over there and, you know, the the regions of people kind of spread and, and created their own thing. But it is kind of interesting, like Midwest, you don't really get too much different dialect uh maybe here in michigan you go up to the up which is basically canada junior you know that has its own dialect there's its own vernacular and so forth i would say kind of like the south not so much you just it just kind of is a barometer of like how southern are you like are you in the the green or are you in the yellow or are you in the red yeah it's just it's just basically turning up the volume on the southern tinge on it west coast you know there's a little bit of different uh variations of 
you know, dialect out there, but not as drastic as, as the East Coast. Like, you know, like I was, you know, talking with my wife and I go, I mean, you look at New York, you got Staten Island, you got Brooklyn, you got, you know, all these places that kind of have their own tinge. Then you got West Virginia, which has got its own dialect. You got Philadelphia, Jersey, South Philly, you know, like everywhere has like Rhode Island, like everywhere kind of has its own twist on on it on you know what english is or what you know like how they speak and it is kind of interesting just to kind of see it i mean will and i kind of touched on just the fact that you know being from the east coast uh swearing is its own kind of uh <laughs> it's, its own specialty language out there it's got its own rhythm you know it, it's just part of the it's part of the deal down here we always just sound like like, like in st louis we're so midwest we've got like the tv dialect so a lot of the time, whenever we say, like, fuck or shit or whatever, we just sound like a 13-year-old kid that just got out of earshot from his parents. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, all of that aside, uh, this was a fun chat. Uh, basically, I've been trying to have Will come on the show for about a year now or so, basically since Greg Thomas, uh, ex-Misery Signals, but uh, who was on the show uh, from Silver Bullet Studios. Once he had kind of told me you know, about this new project he was invested in uh, and who all was involved in it, and you know, having not heard a single note of anything, um, I went on my way to just slowly collect everybody and... Brandon and and Will were the only two I wasn't able to get, obviously because they're you know two of the busiest guys, and so you know it was kind of fortuitous when you know I get an email from Amy, uh, I was like, hey, would you like to talk to Will about his new uh, plugin software thing? And I was like, absolutely. And then I thought to myself, I don't use plugins, so like I'm gonna go hit up Greg real quick and be like, yo, um, what do you think of this as a producer and just as a musician as a whole? And then uh, I reached out to Andrew from the Ghost Inside, who had been you know kind of sort of being friendly with uh on instagram and so forth i was trying to get him on a while ago when he was doing that uh one one decade side project that he's been doing but obviously the ghost inside stuff has been keeping him busy they just played their show as a woman recording this uh this past saturday so uh congrats to to the ghost inside and all those guys finally making their long long waited comeback dude no joke they're one of those bands that i was like man are they just going to be gone forever because there's too many bands that continue on for such a long fucking time that it gets really tired. Slayer, you know, it, you know. <laughs> and I, I, I love the Ghost Inside from the first note, and you know, I'm, I'm really glad to, to, to be able to hear some, some new stuff from them. Yeah, I don't know if anything new is going to come out uh, of this at all, but I do know that mm, it'll come. I'm sure, for sure. But I mean, it was. It, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the videos or the photos from it. I mean, it seemed like pretty much anyone on my Instagram page was. Everyone was there. I mean, even Carl from X Misery Signals uh, left, you know, Canada to come down to go see it. Um, but it looked like a fucking festival. Like the, it looked like there was probably like eight thousand people at this thing. Uh, I thought they were playing a club. So I was pleasantly surprised to see it be outdoors and, you know, on a, you know, set up stage. Uh, and they had like pyro and, you know, fireworks and confetti cannons and all that shit. Like they definitely didn't skimp out on any of that. Um, you know, it's just been crazy because, I mean, like Have Heart just uh, did their reunion, a couple of reunion shows. And seeing, you know, these hardcore metalcore bands playing in front of arguably almost tens of thousands of people that are there to see them. Uh, really kind of makes me feel pretty good about where the state of heavy music is. And, you know, Will has a pretty big hand in a lot of modern heavy music right now. 
So, I mean, I, I think that kind of all ties together, but, you know, it's just been, it's been nice to be a fan of heavy music. I mean, Slayer just announced, I don't really give a shit about this, but Slayer just announced, you know, the final, final leg of their farewell tour uh, with, with Primus, interestingly enough. And, and uh, uh, Phil and Selma and the Illegals. Doing a Pantera cover set. So, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of diversity out on this last bill. I think it's kind of nice because, you know, Slayer used to go out with a lot of interesting bands, you know, early in the in their career. So I think it's kind of fitting that, you know, their last tour, at least in the States, uh, you know, they're taking out Primus, which did, that wouldn't seem like it would be a perfect fit. And then, you know, Phil, which it's interesting to see Philip H. and Selma and the Illegals be the opening act on this. But, you know, it's kind of nice. You know, they've been doing paying the homage to the, the, the legacy acts and so forth, usually having them play that slot. So it's nice to see that continue on this uh, this final leg of the tour. I mean, by all accounts, like I said, it looks like metal and hardcore has just been doing really well the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I don't know if it's just like a collective society, like if this is how long it's taken society to adjust to the new norm of what metal, uh, you know, became when we were younger and just is now, you know, I definitely, you know, remember showing stuff like Lamb of God to people, you know, years and years and years ago and it been like, uh, whatever. And then, you know, that band will go out and play and sell out, a, sell out an arena. <laughs> so, you know, on a, on a Slayer tour. Uh, so it, it just really kind of blows my mind that like stuff that I used to show people just basically to scare them is now basically like the new norm and that's cool that's uh it's not something i'm upset about or i feel betrayed by it's it's really cool to hear bands that i grew up with actually still making like still making a huge dent and people actually giving a shit and like it's cool just seeing like newer fans of metal you know people that maybe got maybe cut their teeth on like deathcore stuff and heavier stuff kind of going back and looking at the, some of these metalcore bands and, and kind of kind of looking at them the same way that maybe we used to look at like bands like megadeth and uh, and and uh, I almost said Anthrax, but I just I just can't bring myself. Uh, no, I, but bands like Megadeth or Slayer or you know those bands that 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 everybody pretty much you know our parents may have told us or these are the best or this is the greatest stuff. So in one way you can say, oh yeah, it's becoming dad rock. But at the same time, like I'm like bring it on. Like I'm a dad, I rock. <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> I still enjoy some screams and some breakdowns. Yeah. No, I think uh, it's it's been it's been interesting, and then you know, like actually, you know what? I'll talk about this uh, in the the outro. So, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Will Putney, and we will talk to you all afterwards. <laughs> So I had the pleasure of talking to Will Putney this early uh, afternoon, who just put out his own STL plugins package. Uh, you might also know him for being the guitarist in Fit for an Autopsy or producing, arguably, most of your favorite metal records over the last <laughs> handful of years. Uh, how are you doing this uh, afternoon? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, it's actually uh, been a little bit of a long time coming. Uh, when I did the end chat, thanks to Greg, you know, kind of spilling the beans about who was in that band before you guys all revealed that, I was slowly trying to collect you all, and you and you and Brandon were the the two that I could not get. Ah, well, we're probably the busiest, so that makes sense. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm glad we 
I'm glad we were finally able to work it out for sure. You know, kind of speaking to why you're actually on here, uh, you just released the Tonality uh, series of your own with the guitar and bass plugins. How long have you actually been working on making this product? I did. It's my first. Um, it's my first software thing I've ever released in that world, and I um, probably spent over a year on it. We weren't kind of crazy with it. Um, I just never really. I never really enjoyed guitar stuff in the plugin world. I just didn't think it held it to what I would just do with the studio with amps and stuff. And I got an opportunity to make one on my terms. I was like, all right, well, if we're going to do it, it's got to be, it's got to be something I'd actually use and want to put my name on and stand behind. So we kind of went nuts with it and just thousands of audio files and testings and breaking down schematics and going back and forth with the design and how it's going to work. It, it took, it took so long, but it's, it's, very very awesome I'm, I'm really stoked we put that kind of time into it was there ever a point during the process of, of making this that you were just kind of like why am i why am i doing this it's probably not worth it initially i was like really thinking i might have been wasting my time like because i didn't know what it was going to sound like and i had just never really i'd never like i said i've never used one of these plugins uh to get a guitar tone where i was like man this thing is awesome i love this i can't wait to get a get, make a record with this you know so off the bat i thought like yeah there's no way this is going to work out like we were initially just going to kind of do one amp and we were going to see where it went that was kind of how it was left and i just thought it was going to work itself out where i was going to be like nah it's not for me and i was kind of wasting my time but um stl basically hired what i think who i think is the best software engineer in the world for this kind of stuff and um he went really all in on it and what I was just pleasantly surprised to the, literally just hear my amp in this kind of plug-in form thing. So it was, it, yeah, I think after once once that happened and I was able to really hear this thing work the way it was intended to, then I got really excited and no longer felt like any time was being wasted because we had something special. Kind of going through something like this, you know, which is a different avenue musically as far as like the production side of things, what was one of the biggest adversities that you kind of went through with this? Um. I think the challenge was just to make sure that this thing worked exactly how it was work in my studio. Yeah. How I would, how I would work in real life. There's a lot of um, detail. It's not just an amp and a cab and a mic that get the guitar sounds that I get. So there's just like a lot of detail to recreate the whole chain, all the, all the different outboard gear that we use, the different summing mixer setup where you're blending mics and, um, really like having all the details, the small details that add up and translate to like your finished guitar tone, uh, it, it, getting all of that to actually live in, in a piece of software is, is pretty tricky. And, um, it took, it, it's, it's part of the, why the process took so long, but I think, um, you know, it was worth putting that kind of time into it. And some of it was like new ground. We didn't really know how this was going to all work. So definitely some trial and error and, not being sure, like if we were even going to be able to pull certain things off, but then figuring them out. It, it was it's just a whole cumulative process of pushing through it all. But I'm I'm really happy with where it landed and what we were able to do with it. Does getting the opportunity to do something like this validate your producing career and kind of in a completely different way that maybe album sales and just you know the general oh, this is a Will Putney record, like, I'm going to listen to it regardless. Like, does this kind of validate what you've done in a completely different realm? I, I mean, I think it's cool. It's very humbling. And just the fact that a company thinks that the the sounds I make is worth them 
putting this amount of time and money into, um, it definitely was a very rewarding feeling, you know, a, a little unexpected too, I guess. I had never really thought, uh, you know, I, I like the records that I make and I put them out there for the world and, and kids seem to really like what I do too, but I never really thought I would have been in that kind of situation, you know? So, so I, I definitely was surprised and, you know, it feels, it feels cool. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's definitely, um, I'm just glad people like it. You know, that's all. It felt better when it came out and, uh, I saw the responses and I saw actual producers and like younger kids who didn't have access to like all the type of gear that I have and stuff, just being really excited that they could get those kind of tones. Like that was the original intention of this thing where it's, it's the, it's a, it's a product that like when I was starting out, I would have killed for it because it would have given me the ability to get ahead so much faster. I would have been able to get these kind of, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had to struggle and save up all this money and buy all this stuff to, to like get to here, you know, it's just kind of given to you in, in an easy to use form. And um, being able to do that was really cool because it solved a big problem that when I was a kid, I would have loved, you know, so, so that was probably my favorite part of it. You know, it's kind of interesting. You were talking about, you know, just that when the product is released and seeing, you know, the, the wealth of people using it, you know, I kind of wanted to hit on that. You know, you had, you know, your end bandmate, Greg uh, Thomas, who is a producer in his own right, uh, you know, kind of, utilizing the product you had someone like andrew from the ghost inside uh who was also using it you know for a lot of the stuff that he's creating over there for his uh his band and you know it just kind of made me wonder does having the diversity between producers and you know well-known musicians using this product and, and praising it for how easy it is to use right out of the box is that was that really hard to find that balance for both artists and producers, or was it relatively easy to kind of find the balance for the software to kind of meet demands for either one? Well, I think I've been fortunate enough to record, you know, obviously I work within the confines of metal and hardcore and I don't do too much out of that world, but I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of different variety of, uh, in, in, in this work with these types of bands, you know, and going through this and designing it, I wanted to make sure we like kind of covered all those bases and then, it was easy when it when when we had it finished to give it to all types of producers and artists and guys who play completely different music and completely different tunings and work with different totally different styles of bands and um the fact that I had a bit of variety in the types of bands I work with definitely made definitely made it a broader plug in. I feel like if I was a little more niche or pigeonholed that it wouldn't have been as cool of a product. I might, I probably wouldn't have even wanted to do it, but I knew I could pull off a good wide range of sounds for people to use. Yeah. Kind of shifting gears a little bit and kind of talking about production uh, lists that you've had, you know, kind of looking through some of the records. Cause I, I was trying to find the entry point of like when you basically had started working on records and to what capacity. And there was a record that jumped out at me because I had no clue that you even did anything on this record. And I had to go back in my vinyl and I tried to find if you were listed in the, the liner notes uh, for those that, you know, actually buy physical media. <laughs> and uh, I didn't see anything listed. But uh, did you really work on the What to Do When You're Dead by Armor for Sleep? I worked on the Armor for Sleep record, uh, Smile for Them. It was that was it was the record after that. I had just started working with Machina. I, he was, I think at the very end of that record, it was one of the last records that he had done right before I came in. Um, and I was like, uh, Machine, who was a record producer, is the guy who I kind of 
learn from. And, you know, that was my entry point to making records. I, I started as his intern and that became his engineer and worked with a lot of the, uh, there was a period there for, for a couple of years, but I, a lot of the bands that he was working with, I was assisting or engineering or helping on and stuff. And, and um, that's kind of where I learned how to make records, you know, from shadowing him and seeing his, what he had done and then being able to apply it with his bands and with my own bands. That was like the jump off. But yeah, Armor for Sleep was one of the earlier bands that I had actually been able like, it was one of my earlier engineering gigs for sure, where uh, I just kind of got thrown into the fire by him and, I barely knew what I was doing and I'm recording this like major label record, you know, with this band that was like a very iconic New Jersey band at the time and stuff. So yeah, it was a very high pressure situation at that time. I remember sweating that one, but um, I think it worked out cool. So, well, it's just kind of funny because I was going to say when I saw that per the internet, which, you know, greatly can never be (laughs) trusted a hundred percent, but it was one of those that I was like, I didn't know that and i'm usually pretty good about you know looking at who does what on what records and so forth so i was kind of shocked to see that you had done or supposedly had worked on you know that seminal record and then it was kind of weird because i forget the singer's name off the top of my head but he was just on shane told from silverstein's podcast and was talking about all the the trials and tribulations of the last record they ended up putting out and just you know the label issues uh and management kind of going like hey we just don't hear the song and you know like scrapping the record and starting all over and it's like jesus christ <laughs> so yeah it was definitely a hairy time for them that was one of my first introductions to how that side of the industry works you know um i i had that was one of the first probably records i had been a part of where i saw outside parties weigh in you know and at, the, and at that point in my life i just thought bands went into the studio and did what they wanted and then they somebody put the record out and then i learned very quickly that is not the case <laughs> especially <laughs> when you're a bigger or more successful band there's a lot of opinions but yeah i mean that all that stuff early on was a you know being able to kind of see a window into that world it definitely gave me different perspectives on how people are going to work how the business side of it works and all that time early on was super valuable for me. And I always tell kids like who are trying to get into recording and stuff, that that is, that is the best way to learn how to make a record. Like is to find a producer or engineer who you really back and really like what they're doing. And then just try to learn from them, like work with them, clean their toilets and make their coffee and like do everything, spend as much time as you can there. Cause it's better than any school or, any any online instructional thing like that's really that's really the way and uh and i'm very grateful that i had a chance to do that early on absolutely i think uh that's something you know in doing this like i've made the comment a couple of times uh, more recently in talking with brandon from uh norma jean you know and i was making the comment you know you're they are at a career where they're 20 some odd years into it. And it's like, when you started, all you wanted to do is just be in a band with your friends and make music that you liked. No one told you that in order to, to, survive you would have to be a marketing person a brand manager a finance person like all the things that you would have to learn how to do in order to traverse you know 
the music industry and very much the same. I started this podcast because I wanted to just have interesting conversations with people that I admired. I didn't know that I was going to have to learn how to use different softwares and, and different kinds of equipment and, you know, all these kind of things. And it's like, I still don't know any of the stuff that I'm doing technically, but I, you know, I'm learning and thankful to like YouTube and stuff. But I always said that I'm not going to let the passion and the drive to, to do something slow me down because of not having the fundamental knowledge on how to do something. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned Norma Jean too, because we just, we wrapped the Norma Jean record earlier this year. And, and even though they're actually back to literally just being a band in a room, making the type of music that they want. And I think part of them riding their waves that their careers had with like the ups and downs and stuff and, and kind of learning from all that, they're back to what's like important for them and what makes their band cool and special. And, the whole marketing be a brand side of it is like, they've been able to remove that from their music again. And I think they're making better records because of it now. Not that that was ever, you know, Norma Jean never really turned themselves into a commercialized commodity in any, in any sense, but it's like this record was, you know, very artistically satisfying for the guys. And they really got to do what they wanted to do without any kind of outside influence. And it was important for them that's deep in their career to be that kind of band, you know, and, uh, and the record's great because of it, but now they're in now They all go put their business and their marketing hats on, you know? Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's both. It really is both. Like it's the, 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 the best bands in the world are the bands that you never hear about that are playing no hundred kids a night or less. And, and they'll just refuse to compromise or be a, a commodity for for anybody. And that's cool. That's like an, a, a very satisfying, fun way to create music and not give a shit. Or sorry, I'm cursing. No, not you care. You swear about... all you want, dude. <laughs> oh, okay. You no, fuck that, dude. You... <laughs> it's not called brutally it's speaking just... <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> that's true. It's just New Jersey, man. I curse a lot. I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry I'm from the East Coast there, as but... well. I mean, granted, I've lived in the Midwest longer than I've been from the East Coast, but still, uh, you get a couple of drinks in me, and the uh, the East Coast will come out real fast, especially in the swearing. <laughs> it's almost like Amazing. its own language. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been trying over the years. I've noticed when I travel that I'm a potty mouth, so my apologies to the Wisconsin fans tuned in. But yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it, it, that's a great way to be a band, and and for a lot of people, it's it's the it's the only way, you know. And then sometimes that stuff catches fire and it changes and it turns into another type of product for people. And you see that with when bands grow, there's always this, there's going to be this fork in the road where you hit where it's like, okay, now you have to do this kind of stuff. You want to be this size band, or if we want to get you here, like we're going to need to do this and. Some people ride that wave and are cool with those types of compromises and they don't care. They're just happy that they have a career making music. You know, I've worked with plenty of bands that know that what they're doing or what this video is or what this song and this, you know, the, oh, we were told we have to do this or so we're just going to do it because it's good. Like people are cool with it and, it. and that's fine too. You know, as long as you're like, as long as guys are happy doing what they do, it's like, it goes both ways. I can see both sides of the fence. You know, you know, kind of speaking a little bit too. When I, like I said, was taking a dive on your your production side of uh, your discography, and something I realized, and and I don't know if you've noticed this either in what you've put out, a lot of the records, especially recently, that you've touched and produced and so forth, 
have a really long touring life. You know, like I'll I'll use every time I die for example. They, I think Lotine's just hit the two year mark, and they're arguably doing one of the biggest tours on the cycle right now, currently with Mastodon and Coheed. And looking at some of the other records, you know, like there's just really seminal records and records that had a really long touring life. And it just kind of made me wonder how much of that success can be credited to you and the time that you spend working on the albums with the bands versus, you know, not, you know, just the material that they're bringing in, uh, you know, in this raw demo form. I mean, it's a credit to everyone that's involved. You know, I mean, part of ETID's success is, is, very small because of what we, what I did on the record. But part of it is because they're an incredible band and they have a good team and they're a great live band. And, you know, it, it, we, we were able to make a record that was special and it kind of reignited that band and gave them a, a, a nice, full, satisfying touring cycle, you know. And, you know, I, I, it's happened a few times where, you know, the bands are two, three years since we had worked together and the offers for tours keep coming and the band's still growing and it's like, well, it's still working. It's still going. These opportunities keep coming, keep, keep popping up and bands just keep staying, you know, they'll just stay on the road. If the, if the right opportunities there, it's, it's cool that I've definitely been fortunate to have a few records that had really good life like that, where, you know, where they can go three years on an album cycle now when some people are two or less, you know? And then I also have bands that, I've worked with a lot of bands that do really fast album cycles too. Not because they don't have, not because the records aren't working, but because it's a great way to, it's a great way to capitalize on the heat that your band has. You know, you you never get as good of like a bump publicly as when you, when you release new music or you put an album out, all the press covers you, all the kids go back to the pages, like the social, the social stuff just goes again. Like it's the best like marketing tool you have to your music, you know? And some bands like, We'll get a record. They'll tour really fast. They'll get the. They'll try to write another one quickly and get back in the studio and like capitalize on the momentum that they have. So it it, it does work both ways. Like, uh, you know, some of some of the better some of the bands that have grown faster have grown because they've done like year and a half album cycles. And then sometimes it's just like a record explodes and everybody wants to take a band on tour and they're just out forever. You know, I, I think Knock Loose had a really good run off the last record we did where there was just no place in the world that people didn't want them to go and no band that didn't want to take them on tour. And the band just grew and grew and grew. And now they're this, just this monster in that scene off of this one full length, you know? And and we're, we're probably over three years. Maybe. Yeah, it was three, I think it was three years when I talked to Brian on that Acacia Strain tour, uh, which I think was the first one of the first dates of that tour. And we had made the comment that I think the record had just turned three at that point. So, yeah, I mean, three years. And, I mean, they're very much like Eated in the sense that they just keep going. Yeah, it's just crazy how much they've done since that record's come out and how the band's gotten from A to B, you know. And it's like, yeah, sometimes it just works and you got to roll it, you know. Um, kind of shifting a little bit again more to you in the band realm, uh, we didn't get to talk about End uh, previously when I talked to everybody else, like I had mentioned in the very beginning. Um, so I'm going to ask a couple of questions about that. First of all, yeah, sure. um, you know, very much like I echoed in the interviews I did with Jay and Brandon and Andrew, um, it's, or I'm sorry, Jay, <laughs> Greg and everybody else, but um, how were you guys able to keep this such a secret? in the day and age of everyone in the internet knowing what everyone's doing and piecing everything together. Like I was, 
pleasantly shocked that you guys are able to not only find time to record everything, but do it in such a manner that no one knew that it was coming until literally you guys put out the first 30 second teaser. Yeah. I think we just, we didn't talk about it that much and uh, no one was looking for it. So it wasn't the type of situation where no one would have known it existed if we didn't tell them. So we really just didn't tell a lot of people. We only really told, like we didn't publicly announce the band or tell any, buddy that wasn't just a band friend or, or or someone that our bands collectively work with like that we were doing it you know so if you don't exist no one knows you exist we didn't have any social pages or anything we we literally just stayed off the internet and stayed quiet about it and just made a cool record and and then when we, everything was ready to go we just put it up you know and that was like yeah us launching that page and putting that teaser teaser up and having a couple of our bands like share it and stuff. That was just literally the first time we ever showed up, you know? So, so I think part of it was, we just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> It'll definitely work. <laughs> it was pretty interesting to see how quickly the internet was able to figure out who was involved in it. I think within, you know, a 30 second teaser and everyone's like, Oh, this is who's in this band. And it was like, shit, that was, <laughs> that's fast. <laughs> yeah. I was surprised that it came together. Yeah. Uh, it was cool. It was nice to see like, um, like our collective fan bases kind of get stoked on each other and stuff. I always, I always like it when bands from different worlds can come together and, and make cool, cool products, you know? And, um, yeah, I, I was, I was like surprised that people who like my band and people who like Brendan's band, like we shared a lot of, we shared more fans than I thought, you know, and they were excited that we were doing stuff together. And I just think it's cool when the worlds collide like that. Has the success of From the Unforgiving Arms of God, I mean, I think you guys are on your, like, what, sixth or seventh pressing of it <laughs> on vinyl, but has the success of the record itself, or the EP, I should say, uh, been a surprise to all of you, or at least you? Yeah, I, I didn't think anyone would care the way it does because of how extreme the music is and how just, like, I call it unlistenable music, how just intense and crazy it was. I just thought, it's the stuff we like, and... um I just wanted to do a band like that with my friends and didn't really think I uh, would go, we would do anything with it. You know, I, I, we were like, yeah, if we play a show, cool. And like, maybe we'll, we'll put it online and we'll see what happens and stuff. And then, yeah, it kind of snowballed, you know, it's not a huge thing by any means, but it was cool to see like people from all over the place into it. You know, I, I was just surprised they got around as much as it did, I guess. I think your set that was live streamed via was it Revolver the Saint Vitus set? Oh, Kerrang! Yeah, Kerrang! Or Kerrang! Yeah, I think I there would be days like in the summer when I used to work for a screen printing shop uh, in the sh shipping receiving area, I would just throw that live set on just because like I was angry that I had to work uh, unpacking like four thousand hoodies in the middle of summer. <laughs> So it was like the perfect soundtrack, and I would just be like, again, again. So it was. it's probably my favorite live set that I've seen anyone do uh, through that series. Um, I mean, there's it's it's kind of crazy. I didn't think that there would, was a way to be heavier than the record, but somehow you guys achieved that that evening. Yeah, much appreciated. Yeah, that was a fun show. Yeah, thank you. big thanks for Hope Swell for having us on that one. That was cool. Yeah. Um, is there a follow-up already, uh, working? I mean, at this point it's been uh, almost two years now, I think since the EP came out. So it would seem feasible that there's some new tunes in the works at this point. Uh, yeah, there's stuff We're we're, uh, I don't know how much I want to get into it, but we, uh, we're, we're sitting on some really, really good stuff right now. And, and, 
soon it will be we'll have some movement in that world again but yes we did go back in once we realized people actually kind of are into it and stuff and and uh i'll say try harder uh <laughs> than we did originally because to be honest that end record came together super fast i think between me and greg i don't know how much time greg spent on actually putting his, his contributions together for it but i know mine was days a few days and then us getting together and actually recording and stuff was very, very quick, especially compared to how I normally like would make a record and stuff. We really threw that one together fast. It's part of why it's cool too, but it's also now knowing like people are interested in the band, it kind of motivated me to uh, apply myself more and try like, okay, it's for real now. So let's, <laughs> let's do it for real. And um, we definitely put a lot more into what's coming. And I'm really excited about it. I think it blows away uh, what we had done previously. So if you like the band, uh, you'll be in for a treat soon. Awesome. And then uh, it's also been two years since uh, The Great Collapse came out. So do we have some new Fit for an Autopsy stuff coming soon too as well? I mean, I know they're on the road, uh, I think right now, getting or getting ready to do a European run, I think. We just, yeah, just finished the European headliner. It was excellent. Probably one of the best tours we've ever done, just on our own. And... Uh, it, and we are done with our album cycle for the last record, for sure. A couple of dates in Mexico, and then uh, there's going to be a lot of announcements for the band very soon. But uh, a record, we've got a record ready to go, and and I'm really stoked on it. And, and towards towards the back half of the year, you'll see a ton of stuff from us, for sure. What, uh, you know, kind of in wrapping up, what does the rest of 2019 kind of hold for you? It seems like you probably are sitting on a bunch of records that either you produced or whatever, and just kind of waiting for the, you know, this last uh, quarter or so of the year to, to kind of release it all. Yeah. There's, um, there's always this early year rush where from January to now, basically I, I just work nonstop. I think I've had two days off this year and the rest of the year has been spent making a tremendous amount of records, but there's, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the bands I've worked with in the past have been back through and have made new records and we're, we're sitting on a lot of really good stuff right now that will show up in the fall. The end of the year is going to be awesome. There's just so much cool music coming out of here. I'm very excited for it all to get going. And then uh, where can everyone uh, find you online? I mean, I know you don't really use any of your socials as I kind of figured out. I'm kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm there. I'm on, I'm on Instagram with, as Will Putney and, and Facebook. If, if you want to message me there, but graphicnature.com is like where I keep all my info and studio stuff and links to what I do with the label. And um, there's info on the plugin there. You can go to stltones.com and get a full rundown of all the plugin stuff we were talking about earlier in the podcast. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm pretty accessible actually. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. I uh, was very much looking forward to this one, and uh, I think we covered quite a bit. Uh, is there anything else you want to mention or anything? No, I think that's it. I just appreciate people wanting to know what, uh, about me, so it's very cool. I thank you again for chatting with me. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks again. So that was my conversation with Will Putney of Fit for an Autopsy and and Graphic Nature Recording and Audio. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I kind of pulled it to me lately when I get somebody. Like, I know that they're on to talk about the thing. Uh, and this is, you know, his his Will Putney signature guitar and bass plugins uh, for STL Tonality Series. Um, but something I've admired about a lot of other people and get jealous of is when someone comes on to talk about something. You know, like when we had Chuck Billy of Testament and we had to talk about vape pens and marijuana 
he vapes things or whatever. And, you know, I remember sitting there telling Dan, I was like, you know, everyone's going to ask about the Slayer Tour. Let's go all out on this this line of vape products and let's take the whole half hour we have or 25 minutes and make it solely about that because that's that's more challenging. And I do still feel that way about a lot of the stuff that we do when we get someone to, to actually plug something. But I think there's something to be said about plugging the thing for a little bit and then just going off on side tangents and, and having more of a conversation about a wider spectrum of things as a whole so with that being said because i doubt you use the plugins either uh over on your end dan what did you think of that that kind of far-reaching conversation about a shitload of things yeah i don't know yeah i mean i don't i don't play instruments so uh there's that uh but i i enjoyed that the conversation was more diverse because i can't stand gear talk for the most part because i'm not i'm not like a smart person I, i i judge music because I don't play music very well. That makes sense, right? So, yeah, I enjoyed that there was a little bit more of a wide variety in, in this in, in this case. Uh, but I agree with you. The, the, the Chuck Billy Testament uh, vape pen discussion was a huge challenge for me because I'm a massive Testament fan. And I was like, okay, let's keep it about the pens, Dan. Let's let's talk about the let's talk about the vape pens. And uh I did I did as well as I could on, on that. But uh the Will Putney one, it actually is really funny because I remember you telling me that you were interviewing Will Putney and I didn't know when you were gonna do it. And it was like literally as soon as I was about to text you and ask you when the interview was to see if I could be on it, and I had missed it by like three hours or something. I was bummed out. I mean I wouldn't have been able to make it anyway, but it was just it was just one of those like, oh man, I've got I, <laughs> I've got so many producer questions because whenever we whenever we get somebody on on that's a producer, you know, as well as a notable musician, it's 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 really hard not to ask those questions. Who was the shittiest band that you ever had to work with? <laughs> you know, and I know they wouldn't even tell me that, but like you know, or they'd give me like very vague vague answer, but uh, it, but yeah, like. I enjoyed that there was a, a wide variety of topics, and we talked about, or you guys talked about, uh, you know, his 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 bands that aren't uh, as maybe as well known yet. And uh, so, yeah, I really enjoyed that, and I uh, unfortunately missed uh, Fit for an Autopsy uh, recently when they came to St. Louis. Much to the chagrin of my friend Chris McCoy, who was sending me messages like all night. He literally was just posting pictures of the show over and over and over again. And I was like, dude, I fucking get it. I wasn't there. <laughs> no, I think, you know, for me, I realized like the one thing, because like, I mean, Will's done so, like I said, like Will has become kind of the Adam D of the new modern metal production. Him and Dio, I would say, are really like the two that are kind of like putting their stamp on newer metal. Uh, from a production standpoint. And it's one of those things that I completely, like, as soon as I got off the phone with him, I was like, fuck, I forgot to ask about body count. Oh, yeah. Like, I know he's doing the new body count. I know he did the last one. And I think he did the one before that, too. And it's just like, you know, getting to work with Ice T, getting to kind of help bring this band back uh, from a long, long hiatus. Um, we touched a little bit on Norma Jean. Actually, something that was pretty cool to me to, to kind of learn about because I kept seeing it pop up on Wikipedia and like it was kind of omnipresent in my podcast listening was the Armor for Sleep thing because Shane told had just, you know, I love that. I didn't like the band initially, like in their when they first came out. And then it was in Dating My Wife that she kind of had been playing uh, What to Do When You're Dead. 
and I was like, man, there's some like really good production on this. Like the guitar riffs are sick. Like there's just like really good songs on this record. Dude, it's a fucking great record. And so much so that I bought it on vinyl. And it's uh, one of those things I kept seeing on after listening to that Shane Toll thing. I was listening to that record a bunch more. And I was looking at Wikipedia or whatever, which, I mean, you should never trust it, but it said that Will Putney had worked on it, and I was like, what? So then I went back to my vinyl, tried to find, like, the liner notes, and I was like, I don't see Will Putney's name on this anywhere. And so it was just, like, one of those where I was like, all right, what did you do on this record? Because, like, that that would be so out of your normal range of, like, what he does. But it would be really cool to be like, oh, so, like, this is one of the first records he worked on. But I almost like the story more of, like, that he worked on the record that basically tanked the band's career. <laughs> and, like, yeah. because if you listen to that Lead Singer Syndrome podcast, they talked about how stressful it was to write that record because, the you know, a major label was involved. And they were like, no, we don't hear the song. We don't hear the song. We don't hear the – we don't hear a theme yet, you know. And it was just what drove the band to kind of put out a shit record and to, you know, f- collapse, basically. And the fact that yeah. they were talking about how there's, I think, I can't remember if he said there's the original record that they wanted to write, or if there were two versions of the various records that they wrote between, you know, all the pre-pro and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, I'd almost like to hear what that unreleased record would be. It's almost going to, like, I guess it's almost like the Deftones Euros record at this point. Like, huh, I wonder yeah. what I wonder what the true follow-up to What to Do When You're Dead would have sounded like, especially with Will maybe getting to work on that, since he did work on those, those pre-production things. But... You know, I do find it interesting. You know, we talked about it a little bit with Michael Beinhorn. We've talked about it with Evitz. And it's one of those things where, you know, when you're a producer, you're supposed to try to get the best out of everybody, try to make it sound as great as you can. But then there's that variable. And I know you've talked about it quite a bit on discography discussion where people are like, but then the label comes in and is like, sorry, we don't hear the song. Like, coincidentally yeah. enough. You guys just did Death Angel. That was the uh, newest episode you released. Josta just happened to have the singer of Death Angel on. And they were talking about, uh, I believe it was three, and they were talking about how the label was just like, oh, we don't hear the record yet. We don't hear the song like to, to start the direction of the record. So they wrote a <laughs> bullshit song about the manager or whatever, and he's like, I like this. Like, Let's keep going down this record. And they're like, dude, it's about you. Like, We wrote a bullshit, stupid song about you. Yeah, that's it. I really wish I'd have had that insight too before we did that episode because that would have been a a, a funny story to relate. Um, and yeah, it's like the the record label comes in and they're like, "Well, we don't hear the song, dude." You're talking about like three by Death Angel, like it's like one of the greatest fucking thrash metal releases ever, and you don't hear the fucking song. Like, get a new job. <laughs> <laughs> what the actual fuck? Yeah, sorry, I just had to get off. Death Angels just I'm 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 coming off of all of that and and actually being a bigger fan of that band than I was before we did that episode. And it's just, Oh my God. Yeah. Like, but, but like, yeah, to your, to your point, you know, like we actually, uh, whenever I talked to Toby, Wright Uh, back at the rocket pot expo last year, you know, it was, it was kind of the same thing where like he's doing his thing, but then he also has to somehow like, he's almost the middleman uh, to the label, to the, to, to the guys in suits or whatever. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we got a great record here. But then at the same time, you know, they're like, well, we don't hear it. They need to demo out, you know, six different songs. It's like, fuck, dude. Like, like for me, like, as small of a music career as I've had, like, the idea of writing, like, 10 songs or 15 songs, like, and then picking the best 10 or 12 out of that is, like, kind of like the best I could do. 
you know so like i hear about these bands that just sat in the studio languish in the studio for 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 months and months and months and sometimes years trying to come up with like that hit and they may have demoed out like uh like like 50 or 60 songs or some shit and i'm just like how, like at, at what point do you have to just step in as like the music connoisseur that you are like somebody like somebody like a will putney that like knows his shit you know at what point does his opinion need to start like mattering more than what the label you know is is going to think about it I think the thing when looking at Will's discography leading up to this conversation that really struck me, though, is just the fact that a lot of bands, and I mean, granted, I'm going to pull this right out the gate. I mean, Eatsid, they just, as of when we're recording, they just announced another European run. And I mean, we're going into potentially by the time they're all done with the touring that they have in on the books, it'll have been almost three years since Low Teens have come out which is arguably yeah. like the longest touring cycle they've done behind a record. And honestly, I I still feel like, I mean, especially after this Mastodon run they just did, I feel like they're still like in the middle of a tour cycle, of an album cycle. And yeah. it's really weird to see that, especially with a band that's, you know, eight records in, 20 years into a career. Like, this is the record that's had the most life for them. And it's like, Jesus. And Will has done that quite a bit recently. Like, bands touring on an album for about three years and you're just like, well shit, like, is it you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. I mean, knock loose is the other one that I mentioned too, but I mean, knock loose is like almost like ETS where it's like, I mean, we talked to Brian in the middle of the new tour they were starting at the time and they had just put out mistakes like fractures the day before we talked to him. So it was like, okay, so you got new music. And then it's like a few weeks later after we did that episode or dropped the episode. Oh, here's our new record coming out. And it's like, you guys are doing it in a way I haven't seen in a long time where it's like, we're just going to tour relentlessly with no break. And then in the weird pockets of time that we have, we're going to record a record somehow. And then we're just going to keep touring, <laughs> which I don't know if that's going to burn them the fuck out and make them go away. Or if it's just going to strengthen them and make them grow to be the hugest band ever. Yeah. I mean, hopefully that's uh, it's the second option, but uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I think, uh, I think burnouts <laughs> is a very real thing. But uh, you know, if you if if you believe in what you in what you've made, you know, if you believe in the uh, if you believe in if you believe in your record and you believe that you know it's good enough to tour for that long, and people are still fucking eating it up, I mean, why wouldn't you? Well, I think it's kind of like what Brandon from Atreya was saying in our episode that we just dropped uh, recently, where he was saying sometimes you got to know when you need to fucking go when you have the thing and you got to put that dynamite to your ass and just get fucking shot into the you know stratosphere. Like, you got to know when that time is and just fucking hit it because if you don't, that opportunity might go away and never come back. I mean, look at Death sure. Angel. Kind of going back to that. They had a couple of opportunities that unfortunately got squandered, and then in listening to I can't remember the guy's name, but the singer talk on Josta show about you know basically it was uh, the label thing kind of pissing him off, and then it was the van, uh, the bus accident, and then it was just like you know this isn't worth it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it sucks. Um, man, sorry, I didn't think we were gonna have so much Death Angel talk. I'm going to try to keep that down because I did that already this week. No, I know. Uh, I d it's been fresh in my head because I just got done listening to your discography discussion and then immediately went into the Josta show thing. So it's been... I still need to listen to that. Uh, and again, I really wish that that had dropped before we did the episode, but we did that episode like three. Full disclosure, like on that podcast, we do the episodes like three or four weeks before they post. It's kind of like So these. like, 
Yeah, yeah, actually, that's that's very accurate. Um, your favorite podcast is never usually as up to date as they say they are. Except talk to um, me. Talk to me, man. He, I don't know how I don't know how he does it, dude. Like he always at the at the end of the day just comes through with something. <laughs> you know, that's that's pretty cool. So uh, you know, he can make fun of me all he wants about being the metalcore guy, but uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm fucking prepared as shit <laughs> for these things. And then wrapping up, as we always do, time for the plugs. If you would like to keep up with Will, you can find him on Instagram and Twitter at Will Putney. Simple enough. If you would like to keep up with Fit for an Autopsy, you can find them on Facebook at Fit for an Autopsy Official. Instagram and Twitter are simply Fit for an Autopsy. And if you would like to keep up with End, which you should, because hint, hint, sounds like some new shit's about to drop, go to Facebook at Listen to End, Instagram at Your Fucking End, and Twitter at End Band. And, uh... Check out that St. Vitus set. It is lean and mean, and I know Dan actually and I have talked about that set quite a bit because it was the Hope's Fall show that they were on, and we talked about how much cleaner End sounded over Hope's Fall on that recording, even though it was the same room, same same everything. Oh, agreed, and it's so funny, too. You're going to see a Hope's Fall show, and you're like, who's this band opening up? And then they're like literally the most brutal fucking thing <laughs> that you've ever heard. That just blew my mind, dude. Like, watching that, I was like, holy shit. It almost doesn't even fit. Like, oh, fuck, Hope's Fall's going on after this? Good luck. And, like, I love Hope's Fall, but, like, that was not their best performance uh, live. Um, no offense to them. They just, I think they were still getting back into it. Well, I think the other thing, too, is, like, because uh, one of the other bands that we've had on, and hopefully we can get back on here pretty soon since they got a new EP that's dropped, I think, already, uh, that was on one of those shows is uh, Violent Life, Violent Death. Oh my god. Those guys are the fucking money, dude. I love that <laughs> band. Oh my god. Um you don't hear you don't hear very many new bands do that. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. That vocal style. Yeah. The I hate to say it, but like the Zeo the Zeo snarl. Can you hear the Grand on Dance face cuz I'm looking at it? Oh my god, dude. That that band is tits. Like I you know. <laughs> Feel free to edit that out, but nope. I don't care. Like, Violent Life, Violent Death, they're my shit. And what's funny, too, is that uh, when uh, Toomey interviewed them, he immediately like he immediately texted me and goes, hey, just so you know, this is your new favorite band. <laughs> and he was not wrong. Uh, they, are, they are a fantastic band. That If you haven't heard Violent Life, Violent Death, you need, to, you need to fucking check that shit out. And you know that if I thought something sucked, I would tell you. So... I, I'm telling you the truth here. This is some straight up like Dan Terry shit. You're gonna love it. <laughs> yeah, it was good having Joe and the guys on a while back. Uh, actually, everyone we've talked about, we've had on the podcast. So you can go back listen to our interview with uh, Adam Morgan of Hopeswall, which maybe we need to have him back on for this uh, this upcoming release. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm stoked that they've got the satellite years. Uh, shit, dude, you're just bringing up all this shit that I'm super stoked about. Uh, they're they've got the satellite years lineup, and that's not necessarily saying that the album's gonna sound like the satellite years. I mean, I want that, but I also don't want that. I I don't know how to feel. I'm excited. I'm nervous. Um, I I, I might pee a little bit. I, I don't know. It's just it's gonna be great. Yeah, but uh, we got a lot of uh, 
lot of great episodes in the back catalog, which uh, brings us back to us. If you'd like to keep up with us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BrewSpeakPod. Head over to our YouTube channel where you'll see some of the interviews we've done in person. We've got a couple more that are going to be posted here pretty soon. Uh, so go over to YouTube. Look for us at Brutally Speaking Podcast or BrewSpeakPod over there. If you'd like to email us, you can do such at BrutallySpeaking at gmail.com. If you'd like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can find them at MetalNexus.net, Facebook at MetalNexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. And Dan, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook under Daniel Terry. You can find me on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. And uh, if you want to send me a fucking email, go right the fuck ahead. It is at uh, DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. It's a special email address I set up, uh, mainly just so that I can sign up for coupons for uh, for, for free stuff and, and free trials and shit. But you can absolutely send me an email there, and I will get it, and I'll respond to it. I, I, I promise I will. Probably. If you would like to keep up with our sponsor, The Bean Bastard, you can head over to TheBeanBastard.com, get you some delicious coffee, get you a body scrub, get you a candle. There is so much stuff, and uh, as of uh, earlier this week, apparently they are going to start doing deliveries in the Buffalo area, so if you live in the Buffalo, New York area, head on over to their website and set you up a uh, a delivery service and get you some delicious coffee. Maybe I'll have to hit up Maruso, and maybe we'll have to do a, a brutally speaking roast. I'm still waiting for my fucking yeah, gave, bean bastard uh, coffee. Yeah, I'm sorry. I gave yeah. that away to bands. <laughs> you bitch. I'll get some more. I'll get some more soon. I need to get some anyway on myself. And if you would like to keep up with them on Facebook and Instagram, just look up the bean bastard. And if you would like to support us monetarily, you can always check out our Patreon episode, patreon.com backslash brewspeakpod. Uh, we're going to get into the habit of getting some more episodes cranked out here in the next uh, week or so. So if you would like to donate, there are plenty of tiers. Starts at a dollar, gets you uh, those bonus episodes. Uh, goes all the way up to $75, gets you a bunch of Brutally Speaking swag uh, that even we don't have currently, but we'll get it out to you. And for the Brutally Speaking podcast, I am John. And I'm Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.